Have your Bibles open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. I want to start here as we continue our series on what is the biblical view of the church. And for many, uh, it's been good. But it's been good challenging. It's been good challenging. And I wanted to bring us back to a passage of scripture that we spent literally the entire calendar year last year looking at as a launch off. Because we looked at this this biblical principle called transformation, metamorphosis, right? Oftentimes we put up a, a slide of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly and that whole process. Big word, sanctification. So in Romans 12, 1 and 2... It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we saw in this process of transformation that, that it's, the key to it is the renewing of our mind. And fundamentally, the renewing of our mind comes from Scripture. Right? In John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them, set them apart by your word. Your word is truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus is the truth. Right? In 1 John, it says that the Spirit is the truth. So there's three truths. Right? There's the Word, there's Jesus, and there's the Holy Spirit. All designed to help us be transformed. All designed to help us to become more and more like Jesus, right? As we've been studying what the Bible teaches about the church, it's been challenging because church is that word that many of us think we already have. Because I've been going to church for a whole lot of years, so tell me something I don't know, right? And so a lot of us, uh, the challenge has been when, when you kind of get it, get it, and all of a sudden, thunk, oh, really? I don't know about that. Well, that's not what I, and that's, that's not how I've always, and that, and, and as we've been looking at what Scripture says the church is and isn't, there's moments where it gets a little bit uncomfortable. It gets a lot bit uncomfortable. But that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Anybody here ever trained for a marathon? Was it uncomfortable? Right? What would happen if you were training for a marathon and the second it got uncomfortable? I'm good. Well, some that would be one lap. But I'm training. Well, how do you train? I run till I get uncomfortable. The minute I feel discomfort, I call it. And you wonder why you don't make progress, right? So discomfort is not necessarily a bad thing, right? And even in our walk with the Lord, discomfort can be the Lord challenging you with preconceived ideas, convictions, beliefs you didn't even know you had until it comes up against Scripture. And at that moment of discomfort, you and I have a choice to make. Who wins? Right? We, we talked uh, before, if you've been with us, 
we're in a, what they call a covenant relationship with the Lord. Jesus says this is the new covenant, right? He uses a very specific word in covenant. It's diatheki. Everyone say diatheki. Diatheki, right? Diatheki is a covenant relationship defined by the greater to the lesser, right? It's like a king to the servants. In a diatheki covenant, the king sets the terms, and the lesser party can only agree or disagree. No negotiation. A negotiating covenant is sunteki. Everyone say sunteki. Right? Ooh, got some Greek going. So here's the challenge. Many of us come to Jesus, and you didn't even realize you came to him on a diatheki, his terms. If you came to Jesus based on John 3.16, for God so loved the world, sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, <laughs> Ephesians 2.8-9, for we are saved by grace, through faith, not by works. You hear it? The king is setting the terms. If you come to terms and say, yes, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Messiah, his terms, you enter into what we call the church. The challenge is, many of us enter into covenant with Jesus, with God, on, on his terms, diatheki, but then when it comes to walking with him daily, we want it soon, Becky. Anybody here ever try to negotiate? <laughs> right? You're going along, things are going well, suddenly you read something in scripture, you hear something somewhere, and you're like, what? Oh... Now you're getting a little close here, Jesus. I was good with this. I was good with this. This one, let's chat. Let's negotiate. How about I go to church two times a month? Right? And, and what we're doing is we're trying to reform our relationship with God into more of a sunteki. It never is going to be sunteki. And for many of us, the ups and downs of our walk with the Lord has to do with who's on the throne at that particular moment. Who's driving? Anybody here ever been a passenger of the car and you weren't very comfortable with how they were driving? <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and smile. Say, I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you at all. Right? How many of you, when you're teaching your kids how to drive, or your spouse how to drive, you look for that break on your side? <laughs> I'm a passing daddy! <laughs> See, that's the challenge. Sometimes we're good when things are good, and God's in the driver's seat. And we're just kind of chilling over here. Okay, you drive. Right? And now all of a sudden, he takes us down this road. I've never been here before. You know where you're going? <laughs> okay, another transparent moment. How many of you have ever wondered if the driver knew where they were going? <laughs> Maybe this morning. I don't know. Maybe last night. Right? And so you kind of start, and once, you, once that doubt creeps in, then you can't even rest. Right? Anybody ever let your kid drive you somewhere and you were supposed to rest, but you couldn't? <laughs> I'm sleeping. You're more exhausted when the driver, right, trying to rest. 
Because you couldn't, and you're like so amped because you couldn't rest with the driver. You weren't secure in the driver. A lot of times in our relationship with the Lord, it comes down to are you resting in a diatheke? Are you trusting Him? Where He's going to take you? The discomfort in the choice we make to surrender and yield and walk in obedience is part of growth. That's, that's the point of metamorphosis. That's the point of metamorphosis. Right? We all celebrate when I show you the caterpillar to the butterfly and we're like, oh, that's so cute. That is so pretty. Right? How do you think the caterpillar felt? <laughs> Did you know that in that process, how many of you have ever seen a cocoon right at school or something? Or maybe you haven't. Did you, do you know what's happening in the cocoon? It's eating itself. <laughs> Anyone want to sign up for that gig? <laughs> now, I know it's painful. I know you're eating yourself. But you're going to be a butterfly. Right? Amen, Amen right? So, right? But that's our walk with the Lord. Sometimes we literally feel like we're going to die. We literally feel like we're going off the cliff. We literally feel like, who's driving? Are you sure you know where you're taking me? I'm not comfortable with I don't like this. Just straight up. Just might as well just be honest. He already knows. I don't like this. Why? Why? Right? Because in my mind, I Google mapped it. Lord, here's the route we're going to take. And if you just follow my route, we'll get there. But no. The Lord takes us... Right? It's like you live in Miramani, and to get here, you go all the way around to Santa Paula and come down this end. You're like, what are you doing? Right? Sometimes you do that with the Lord. Lord, why don't you just go point A to point B? Because I'm a point A to point B person. Just as the crow flies. And he's like, ooh. Right? They talked about going to Magic Mountain. Who here loves roller coasters? How many of you ever feel like your life with the Lord is a bit of a roller coaster? Right? You can, if you're on a roller coaster, right? You can, if you, if you check out, right? You can do this and just endure it. Endure it. Or you can trust within reason that it's safe, that it's designed not to fly off the tracks. That, that bar is going to hold you, right? You can once you once you rest in the security of the system, then you get to enjoy the ride. Amen. Amen. So sometimes in our walk with the Lord, it's not that you don't get it. It might be an issue of trust and rest. It might be an issue of who's driving. It might be an issue of is this diatheke or if I turn this into tsundeki? Am I trying to negotiate a deal here, right? All of this comes into play when it comes to the church. Because we've seen the last two, three weeks, whose church is So who's building his church? God. So if we're going to be in a diatheke relationship as a church to the owner slash builder slash architect of the church, right off the bat, we got to submit to his plan. Right? And I was reminded of this. I love you guys dearly. This this showed up on my desk after service last last week. Kind of cool, right? It has a logo. It was filled with those uh, Ferrero Rocher things. Ooh, right? So I'm like I'm like eating these things. I'm like, yeah, my favorite, right? And it says OBCF and the well logo. And I'm like eating these things all week. So whatever, thank you. And then I get to the bottom, and there's something written in here. 
And my name's in the middle. It says Richie's with this big line across it. And it says God's Church. <laughs> right there. with something at, at your work, if you've been entrusted with another human being, you house that. <laughs> if you've ever been, been, ever been entrusted with something that you know is precious and valuable to the other party, and they're giving it to you for their for safekeeping until they return, whoo! Anyone want to come on this side of the podium? <laughs> it's weighty. process, you know, God's church. And Lord, are we are we doing it your way? Are, are we true? Are we drifting? How are we doing, Lord? How are we doing? Because we have to give an account one day. And and we're imperfect and, and we're 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 human and we still have this sin nature and this sanctification process and this this is so whoever, thank you, I think, but um, <laughs> it, <laughs> here's the crazy thing though, we've learned the last couple of weeks that who's the church? Oh no, no one wants to say it now. <laughs> who's the church? So who bears responsibility as well for the church being the church? We all do. We all do. We all have a part in the church being what it's called to be for the glory of God. We saw in the beginning of the series that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. And so as we exhibit what the church is supposed to be, it's a testimony to the world. It's a testimony to the world. Are you kidding me? This is a miracle right here. That this many people can be together and worship together and love each other and care for one another. This is a supernatural work of God. Don't ever minimize what you get to enjoy and just kind of take for granted. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. I often tell the leadership team, I am literally amazed, and I don't, I'm not exaggerating, I'm literally amazed when one person comes here every Sunday. It's a volunteer gig. <laughs> Think about that. People choose to come here. I've been doing this 25 years. I still can't wrap my mind around that all of you are here. It's crazy. I'm like, okay, Lord, so now it's weighty because there's a responsibility we have to be true to you and to be the church you call us to be. And here's the thing, guys. That's not very popular these days. In some circles, in fact, it rankle some feathers. And, and, and I get that, and, and I understand my calling in that, and, and I'll write point on that as long as God has me here. I get that, but, but I know it's not a popular thing. I know because of our stance on Scripture 
and the, on the authority and the inerrancy of, of what Scripture is. I know our stance on Jesus here. When, when we have preached that, people don't come back. We've been together seven years. In the middle of sermons, I've had people walk out. I get that. It's painful. From a purely human perspective, and you want the best for people, and you believe this is the best, and the relationship with Jesus is the best, to have someone get up and walk out, yeah, that's, that takes a little bit of, oh, okay. And, and I've been blessed with, with some, some leaders and, and some men in this church who, who really encourage me regularly and just say, hey, they just come up to me and say, hey, just stay the course. Just stay the course. And, and, and that's what we're going to do as a church. We're just going to stay the course. Amen? Amen. We're just going to stay the course, and we're going to try our best to be true to God's church and, and be what he wants us to be. The authority is always going to be Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says all Scripture is God-breathed, right? And it is and it's profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, our favorite word, right? <laughs> Training in righteousness. So even when it comes to the church, sometimes there's going to be a bit of a rebuking and correcting. Because he loves us. And he wants us to be the way he intended it to be. And sometimes that means we're going to be like, oh, okay. It's your church. Sometimes that's all there is to say in our walk with the Lord. Okay. Not my will, but your will be done. So we work through this together. We work through this together. And, and sometimes, you know, we talk about the church is not just a place. It's a people, right? Quick, quick, quick review. Everyone do this if you're comfortable doing this. I'm a very active teacher around here, right? So so many of you have seen that little nursery rhyme, right? You're, so I, I kind of redid it. So everyone do this. And I say, I want to say... Here's a building, with or without a steeple. So put one on there if you want or not. Go ahead. Okay, how many steeples do we have? How many non-steeples? It's okay. It's okay. With or without a steeple. Open the doors. The church is the people. Turn around and there's the person next to you and say, I see you. Right? I see you. Right? So the church is the people. The people. It is a place, yes, but biblically, foundationally, it's the people. <sighs> right? And, and, and sometimes even the people, we've been challenged the last couple of weeks with what kind of people? Yeah, church is full of hypocrites. Hypocrites. Right? You know, I used to be a youth pastor, and you know, I had people come to youth group. Oh, pastor, you should see what they do Friday night after the Nordoff football game. But they're here on Thursday, raising their hands, right? So, that, so even if, the, if we get that idea down that the church is the people, sometimes we're challenged with, well, what kind of people? The church is made up of people who are redeemed, saved by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. Positionally placed into the church. You're in. Are you perfect? No. <laughs> Are you sitting next to somebody that's not perfect? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. I'm just, why are you laughing so much, right? So we have to settle and we have to get used to this discomfort that the church is made up of imperfect people. Imperfect people are going to be imperfect, which means they might not always say hi to you. They might be having a bad day. 
They might actually be mean to you. They might step on your toes. Maybe this all happened already and I don't know. <laughs> the church is made up of people in the sanctification process. Amen? We're all in this together. They call it the rock tumbler. Right? Familiar with the rock tumbler? Generational type of thing, right? Throw the rocks in there, turn them around. They all come out. Oh, look how pretty. Ask how they were doing in the rock tumbler. The church is the rock tumbler. So that person next to you might be being used by God to shave off some of your rough edges. So turn to the person next to you and say, you're welcome. <laughs> Changes everything, right? Changes everything. Because typically, what do we want to do? We want to find a church that meets our needs where everything is good and everyone likes me and no one's mean. Right? And as soon as something goes wrong, peace out. Next one. Right? Hey, where's that other one? Oh, 500 yards that way. Here's the crazy thing. There's crazy imperfect people over there. If you came from there, no offense, but <laughs> welcome to the crazy imperfects at 1290. That's the church. Isn't it freeing? Yes. <sighs> It's not an excuse for sin. It's not a license to sin. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Right? We have a desire, we have a new nature, but we're all in process. That's the church. I also used to think that the church was just made up of a bunch of weaklings. See, I went to UCLA, I was going to be a lawyer, went to law school, and I kind of had this, and me and my roommate, he went to law school as well, we kind of had this view that the church was just kind of for sissies. For those who needed a crutch. For those who, you know, it was like a glorified support group. A social agency. And so like to go to church was a sign of weakness. Right? And I don't need church. We were independent. We were self-reliant, right? UCLA grads. He's going to the University of San Francisco Law School. I go to USD Law School. We're, we're going to make it. We don't need church. Church is for the weak. It's amazing how God can teach and correct us, even through people. Because I go to San Diego, and, and, and I eventually get called to ministry. Crazy. And, and I work in a ministry with a former football player who was called to pastor and speak around the country. And he brings his professional athlete mindset into his walk with Jesus. Like, serious. And I'm like, wow, this is... Never experienced someone so, like, committed and disciplined and dedicated to his walk with Jesus in the same way as when he was playing NFL football. And I was like, oh, man. First I was like, a little overwhelmed. I was like, this is cool. This is like dude stuff. We're doing dude stuff. Right? And then he takes me, I would travel with him around the country, so he takes me to this um, conference in Dallas, Texas, where it was for believing athletes. And they were having conferences and he was speaking. And I'm walking through the lobby, and it's in the mid-90s, and the top NFL players in that era are all walking around, Bibles, going to chapel. I'm like, this is awesome! I see him on TV. I see him on TV. And they're here and they love Jesus and they're serious and they're into the word and they're worshiping.
worship him? I'm like, yeah. We do man stuff now, you know? I'm like, because my mind was completely twisted about what the church was. It's for the weak. It's for those who can't get along. And suddenly I'm thrown into this pool of professional athletes, and I'm like, this is cool. I like this. There's something that's like, I resonate with this. And then I got plugged in with a men's group down in San Diego. And in this men's group was the president of a bank. In this men's group were, were these very successful Christian businessmen in San Diego. In this men's group was a Navy SEAL. Uh, yeah! <laughs> right? I'm like, let's do this. This I, I, it, it God really challenged me. Yeah, right? The church is a bunch of weaklings. <clears throat> right? But he had to blow it. He literally had to blow up that preconceived idea. He had to blow it up in my mind. I remember we went to this men's retreat, and there was this little room, and all of us had to take turns sharing our testimony or doing a little Bible study. And the Navy SEAL sends us out of the room. I'm like, okay. He calls us back in after a bit. He had tripwired the room. <laughs> so we're walking in. Pata! Pata! What are you doing? I just want you to see what I do. It was like so awesome. And he had nights and goggles. I'm like, I want to play with those. You know, and he showed, And he shares his testimony. This Navy SEAL shared his testimony of his love for Jesus and his dedication to the Lord and how everything he, he was and who he was as a Navy SEAL comes into his walk. And I'm like, I was humbled. Because here I was, so prideful and arrogant, thinking I had the church wired. I had, the church was just a bunch of needy people and couldn't get their act together. No. Oh, no. There, there are people in this room who do have needs, because we all do. Amen? And there are people in this room who, quite frankly, you're kind of successful and things might be going good. It doesn't matter because the church isn't made up of the circumstances of, or your innate abilities. The church is made up of the redeemed. Amen? The redeemed. That's the basis of the church, not the needy and the weak, not the super strong. It's, do you know Jesus? You're in. And into this melting pot of a church, he stirs us all up. And he says, just love me. And just love each other. He really does keep it really simple for us. He really does, right? And in 1 Corinthians, turn to 1 Corinthians 10. We saw this last week. We were challenged, and I shared my own challenges Kind of like, again, with how I used to view church as something I would attend. And then when church was over, I would get on with my life, right? And church had no real had no real impact on how I lived the rest of the six days. It was just something I went to, and then when it was done, I went home and got on with Sunday, right? And last week, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 16, it says this. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. And last week, our, our challenging word was participation. 
Because I like, quite frankly, growing up, I like the fact that church was something I went to, very passive, I was a spectator. When it was done, I got to leave. I had zero participation. Or if I did participate, it was only on my terms. What fit my schedule and my convenience and all of that, my comfort. Last week we saw, no, here's a deal. When you're in the church, that you're a participant by default. We all have a role to play. And it's the same participant as that same word fellowship that's out on the sign. It's koinonia. That is much more than coffee and donuts. Most of the time we think, hey, you're going to fellowship, which means coffee and donuts. Biblical fellowship and participation is much deeper than socializing. Now, socializing is fine. But we're called to participate. We're called to be active members. In fact, Scripture says the body grows as each member does its part. So we're participants, right? Now that's kind of challenging because we live in a culture that's very private, very individualistic, very, you know, I got my agenda and this church going to intrude and, and all of this. And so the challenging part with that is just this independence and this self-reliance that we're kind of raised with. And suddenly you hear from scripture, ah, oh, wait, the church is what? And I'm in, and there's an expectation, and there's responsibilities, and you're like, whoa! Who's driving? Do you know where you're going? Right? When he takes us down the church road, that's where it can get a little bit uneasy, because he, he made a left down church road. Oh, man. That's where we're going, down church road. And and so this, this participation, it's challenging. Some people, it's very common, you know, they have chosen to completely withdraw and isolate themselves. They're islands. You know, they'll, they'll watch church on TV and maybe they had bad experiences. There's a variety of reasons, but for whatever reason, they've chosen to withdraw completely from the body of Christ. I call them islands, right? It's tough because in 1 Corinthians it says, hey, I can't say I don't, I, don't, I don't need you. So biblically that's kind of a, a hard place to justify, right? Complete withdrawal. And then there's others that you're not necessarily an island, but, but you're what I would maybe, maybe describe as a lone ranger. And I'm like, isn't that the same? Not really. And here's my point. How many of you remember the lone ranger? Right? People are like, I don't want to date myself, right? <laughs> All right. So Lone Ranger, right? He was actually he was the surviving member of some Texas Rangers. That's where he got his name, Lone Ranger. He was the lone survivor. They got ambushed, and he was the lone survivor. That's the genesis of Lone Ranger, right? So if you know the story of the Lone Ranger, he has this desire to help people, right? So if you watch the show... Something's going on in town or wherever, right? Lone Ranger and his sidekick, Tonto, usually show up, right? They resolve, they resolve the issue, right? And then the townspeople are looking around, and they want to thank the Lone Ranger. And what's the question they would typically ask? Who was that masked man? Who was that masked man? Right? And then you'd see him up on the cliff, and his horse would do this. You're like, oh, I knew he would do it. And you're all happy again. Right? Horse would stand up on Some of us are like the Lone Ranger when it comes to church. 
I see a need. Let's go home. We're here! Who helped clean up? Up on the Topa Topas! Cindy and Tony! Sometimes we're kind of like Lone Ranger. It's like, this participation and this relationship kind of wigs us out. Kind of like, ooh, it's kind of scary. Let's do the Lone Ranger thing. <laughs> Swoop in. Get out of here. Right? Okay, it's a little better. Props. Thank you. Thank you. Because you help us get stuff done. But if we're going to be true to the church, we're still kind of, we found a loophole. Of, of come in and serve right out of town before we have to talk to somebody or get to know somebody. Because this relational thing, man, anyone ever been burned? Right? And then, and then God calls us to know, love one another, forgive one another as I forgave you, bear with one another, <laughs> I'm out. Tell me when the next potluck is. I got a dish. If you're visiting, welcome to the well. My kids are dying right here. You know it's funny. We'll get home. Some afternoons are like, Dad, did you plan on that? I'm like, nope. Nope. Wasn't in my notes. Wasn't even a thought before it happened. Just kind of goes right out. We're called to be in a relationship. And yes, let's just let's just clear the air. Let's just take the gorilla out of the closet. It's tough. We've been burned. We've been hurt. We 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 have insecurities. We're not perfect. We have wounded people. And so God calls us to be participants in his church that he's building. That's faith. And that's growth. Because most of the time in my life, I ask God to remove all the forms. And I'm asking God to remove the things that bother me. When God is saying, no, those things that I'm allowing are growing you. Remember the Apostle Paul had that thorn. How many times did he ask God to get rid of it? How many times did God say, nope? He said, why? Because my grace is sufficient. I think that really applies to the church. Many of us say, Lord, if only, if only, if only, and then the behind that prayer is if only you would keep getting rid of the things that bother me then my life in that church would be so much better. And he's like, nope. Nope. Jump in that rock tumbler. It's called the church. Because he's growing all of us. Through all of us. Amen? That's the glorious part of it. That's the step of faith. That's the metamorphosis of all this, right? And what is this all rooted in? Okay? Go to Hebrews 10. We're just going to look at this before we take communion. Hebrews 10. We're going to introduce this, and then next week we'll pick up with it. 
Hebrews 10, verse 19. Why can we choose to enter and engage in the church as imperfect as it is? It all boils down to your focus. All boils down to your focus. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Okay. Why can we enter into and engage in the church? Fundamentally, verses 19 and 20 say, because of God. And who we are in Christ has nothing to do with me. Has everything to do with our salvation. Has everything to do with His grace. Has everything to do with what He has done and what we are enabled to do in Christ. See? He's setting the stage. Since. He says it twice. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Right? Verse 21. And since we have a great high priest, then He gets real practical. Don't forget the basis though. Sometimes in, in, in our theology... We, we want to go, just tell me what to do, tell me what to do. No, I need to tell you why you're doing it. You need to know the why. Here's the why, verse 19 and 20. It goes down to who God is and your salvation, first and foremost. Look at verse 22. Then he says, do this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Okay, draw near to God. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Okay. Faithfulness, hold on, hold on, persevere, right? That hope. And then he gets really practical regarding our relationship with each other. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see the progression? He lays the foundation, the why, in verse 19 and 20. And then he gets real practical with the what's, right? Verse 22 is a what regarding God, draw near to him. Verse 23 is a what regarding our faith, hold on to it. And then, in verse 24 and 25, he says, ah, this is what you need to do regarding each other. Okay? Verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We'll start, we're going to um, just camp there for a little bit and we'll pick up. Verse 24. Let us consider. Everyone say consider. 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 That word means this. To intentionally think about. To spend time pondering, analyzing, Evaluating, that's to consider, right? It's to invest time and energy into something. According to that verse, who are we supposed to be considering? Each other. When was the last time you or I actually sat down and considered someone else's spiritual well-being? Not in a criticizing, nitpicky, point out their faults kind of way, 
but in a beautiful way of saying, Lord, how's so-and-so doing with you? When was the last time you or I considered someone else's spiritual welfare and well-being? Just think about that. That's kind of challenging because, again, when I first got involved in the church, everything was about me. I want a good sermon. I want to grow. I want good music. I want a good book. I want a good series. And my faith was very self-centered, self-serving. And then this verse I came along and I'm like, ah, consider one another? I thought that's why we paid you. I thought you're up there and you're considering all of us. That's your job, isn't it? Is to consider, isn't that a shepherd? Consider. That's your job. No. Look at it. He's talking to all believers here. <coughs> Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. As a church, we're called to actually consider one another, our spiritual well being. In other words, you are your brother's keeper. <laughs> And your sister's keeper, yeah. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you that even in a church this size, it's kind of tough. I praise God for all of you that have joined us since we've been here. And I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to know you and, and seeing what God's doing in your life and helping you on that journey. But I know there's only a limited number of days and hours. So we're going to do our best. But here's the thing. The people sitting around you, are called to consider you too. See, we offer donuts and coffee over here afterwards. That's part of a bigger plan. I'm, I'm going I'm to give it up right now. Because <laughs> we know it's not really because you're hungry. All this is, is is really an excuse to get to know one another. It's the first step. Socialize. <laughs> Come over. We want to meet you. We, I mean, you see me, I'm, I'm running around like Lone Ranger around here. We, we really don't have much of a hidden agenda around here. <laughs> we generally want you to love God and love each other. And if having a coffee and donut afterwards and us talking and getting to know each other, like I got to know the new family right here, right? Then so be it. It's just part of us getting to consider one another. I guess it's a process. We understand. That's the process. But it's a process we all have to buy into and choose to participate in, right? And then he says here, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Very important here, everyone say toward. toward. This verse is not talking to you and me about doing more, love, being more loving and doing more good deeds. This verse is talking to me about, okay, I'm gonna consider you, and I am called to consider how to spur you on toward love and good deeds. See, I'm not just supposed to think about you as some mental exercise. Now I'm supposed to take that into action and say, okay, so what can I do to help you love God more and participate in the body more? Primarily by example of being loving. Right? And then that word spur, and we, if you've been with us, you know we like to have fun with that word spur. It means to stimulate, incite to riot. Arouse. See, it's a play on words, right? It's a play on words. It means to lovingly irritate. 
ahead, smile at that person next to you. You are called to lovingly irritate them. Go ahead, go ahead. Just, just say, I told you. We are called to spur, arouse, stimulate, excite someone toward love and good deeds. See, we consider them, and then we choose to engage to spur them on toward love and good deeds. Anyone ever been a passenger in a car where you felt like the person was falling asleep? Mm-hmm. Right? Right? And you're kind of like this, and they're doing this thing, and you're, you know, you're like, are you okay? Right? Anyone ever get to the point where you just shout? Anyone you're drifting, you're like, hey! <laughs> That's for Because sometimes we drift and we fall asleep in our walk with Jesus. And it's not a horrible thing, but we're just, you know, we're just touching the lines. And we just went off into, you know, some other place, and your brothers and sisters are watching you. And you're like, I'm concerned. I feel like I see them drifting. And then they drift, and I don't see them at church, and I don't see them at men's group or by women's Bible study. I don't know where they are, and they're just kind of... Sometimes God's calling you because you considered them to be the one to go, Hey! How are you doing with the Lord these days? How's it going? What's the Lord doing in your life? How can I pray for you? God wants to use all of us in all of our lives. Amen? That's when a church comes to life. That's true life. It really is. It really is. I shared with the worship team on Thursday. When I was a young believer, I grew up, I had the privilege of being uh, in a home group. It was as awkward and as weird as it was, I got to be around loving people. And then the men would, would go to prayer group, Right? And we're supposed to share prayer requests. And as a young believer, I picked up immediately that something kind of weird was going on. Because we'd get around the dining table, and the, the host guy would say, All right, we share prayer requests. And it was the strangest thing. Because there would be like five guys, and five guys would share a prayer request for somebody else. Can you pray for Bob? You know, he's going through stuff. Can you pray for my work? Something, you know, anything other than for them personally. And I was like, okay. Very strange dynamic. We were asking, we were supposed to be doing one another, considering one another, spurring each other on, but when we simply asked for prayer requests, it was always for somebody else, not even present. And we would spend 20 minutes praying for people not even in the room. And then it dawned on me. We're just a bunch of chickens. We're just a bunch of Frady cats in this room right now. Because he wants to know prayer requests. And everyone knows he means for you, buddy. But we're so scared to let other guys know that we don't have it all together. And I might be struggling with some issue in my marriage, with my kids, at work. I might be struggling, but oh no, I'm not going to let 
that cat out here, I'm going to pray for Billy Bob. <laughs> Crazy, huh? Even in the church, we are so scared to even ask for a simple prayer for me. Why is that? What are you really scared of? What, they're going to think about you? You embarrassed? Who here is imperfect? <laughs> then you have a prayer request. <laughs> Does everyone feel better? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just clear the air. We're all imperfect. We all got stuff. And if someone, if someone asks you, what can, I, what can I pray for you for? It's okay. You can share. Now, I know there's levels of transparency, and I'm not telling you to, like, blah on someone you don't even know. I'm not saying that at all. There's appropriate levels of disclosure. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the literal fear and terror of just asking for prayer for you. Why is that? Where did that even come from? When God says, consider one another, love one another, forgive one another, Bear each other's burdens. How am I going to bear your burden if you keep praying for Billy Bob? How do I even know what burden I have to bear for you if you don't even tell me what it is? You see, that's why this weeds. And I get it, and, and I'm going to tell you guys. That means, I may not know all of you, but I love you. I love you with the love of the Lord, and I, and I just want God's best for you. And, and as someone who grew up very independent, very self-reliant, very, um, I grew up in a, in a culture, very shame culture, right? Anyone ever have that mantra, what happens in this house? How can I pray for you? Okay, I get that, right? So prayer requests, being transparent, being authentic, and then being cast into the body of Christ as an active participant in sharing your life. <laughs> it's like a roller coaster. You're on a roller coaster. Oh my gosh, are you serious? Because you have history. You have fears. You have insecurities. I get all that. We are going to do our best here to simply stay the course. To be the church that God calls us to be. And we're going to make mistakes along the way. I said this seven years ago, we started. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do my best, but I'm going to step on toes at times, and I have to apologize. And literally, that first or second service, I stepped on toes, and the next service, I had to apologize. <laughs> we're in this together. And the basis of our togetherness is Him. The why goes back to salvation. The why goes back to Jesus. He's the cornerstone. It's His church. What we do together has to flow out of Him. Otherwise, we're just we're just churning our spinning our tires and treading water because it's all been a man thing. It's all a man. I share with Bill and Tyler, I'm like, dude, this is crazy. All these people that are here, I, I'm completely dumbfounded, and, and it's an awesome thing. But who, dudes, 
great, great. Because it's weighty. And there's so many of you, and I want to get to know you and, and, and see God do incredible things in your lives like I've seen for the last six years in people's lives. I've seen it. And I celebrate that. But we're going to have to do it together. Amen? We're going to have to do it together. And last Sunday, if you weren't here, we participated in communion in this way. 1 Corinthians 10 says that, that when we participate in the juice and in the bread, we're partaking as one body in Christ. Communion tends to be a very private, individualistic thing, when actually, biblically, it's a communal thing. It's a group declaration. So on the vertical side, when you come forward, if you would like to come forward, what you're declaring, there's bread here and there's cups here, what you're declaring is that you are a participant in Christ. First and foremost, you are a participant in Christ. That's the first declaration. The second declaration is, I am a participant in the church. So it's a weighty thing, because when we take communion, you're actually making two statements. I'm a participant in Christ, and hey, by the way, everyone else in the church, I'm in. And last week, we, we, we presented those, and we said, you know, I get that. that that's, that's weighty. And if that's not where you're at, then, then don't just come forward as religion or ritual or rote or peer pressure because everyone is. No. Come forward. Because it is the conviction of your heart and an expression that you are a participant in Christ and you are a participant in Christ's church. That's all this is. It's a communal event. A communal event. So we're going to do that again. There's no rush. There's no rush. We're going to put the Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 up on the screens just so you can meditate on it even if you're in line. You can come up, take bread and a cup of juice. You can take it back to your seats and just have communion on your own. You don't have to wait for me. You don't have to wait for anyone else. But let this be your statement of participation this way and your statement of participation this way. That's what makes communion communal. Communal. Lord, thank you. Thank you for reminding us today that we are to consider one another. We're to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's the what, but really the why, again, is because it's your church. Because in Christ, you have placed us into your church. And so now... We celebrate communion in a very communal way. We celebrate communion as a declaration of our participation in Christ and our participation in the body of Christ, the church. And if you're here this morning and, and you don't know about that first aspect, that, that aspect of participating in Christ, well, the Bible says we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So if you're here, just simply put your faith in Christ and just believe on Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. Put your faith in Him in the best way you know how, as the Lamb of God who took away your sins. Rest in His finished work alone for salvation. 
And the supernatural thing is when you do that, you are immediately placed into the church. So Lord, we give you this time of communion, to commune with you, to reflect on incredible truths of who we are in Christ, but then Lord, also to commune with each other as the church. As the church. To partake of one loaf as a symbol of unity and our oneness in Christ. Amen. As we close, I just want to share something with you. About a month ago, Tina had uh, some children's ministry training. And uh, if you know little Nathan, uh, Rennell's little boy, Oscar Rennell, he's running around and he's playing with, with something in the children's room. And I said, hey, can I have some of those? He says, sure. So I stole some of his build a block. <laughs> and he goes, what are you going to do with that? And I said, oh, I'm just going to build something. So I put this together and I put it in my office right here. And he was running around the church and he comes in and he goes, why'd you do that? And I was like, oh, I'm going to use it one Sunday. He goes, okay. And he walked out. See, one of these by itself makes no sense. It wasn't designed that way. Looks nice and everything, but it wasn't designed to be alone. The only the purpose and, and the intent, and for this to be all that it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be a part of something else. And that's the church. We weren't designed to be alone. We weren't designed to be alone. That's why it's called the body of Christ. We are designed to be a part of something bigger than us. As imperfect and as frustrating and as exasperating as it can be, it doesn't matter because we're still called to be in it. And I want to encourage you, we're going to be on this journey together. And and it does get overwhelming. And, and I look out here and, and as many of you that I'm connected into your lives and everything that goes on 24-7, 365, it can be overwhelming. And quite honestly, sometimes there's a part of me that wants to launch <laughs> and run for the hills because it just seems so overwhelming and you can't please everybody and you do your best and you're there and you pour your heart and all you want them to do is love Jesus. You're not trying to ruin anybody's life. And, and, and yet the Lord says, no, get back. Because even if you left here as pastor, you're still in the church, buddy. <laughs> no escaping it. What are you thinking? But I get this. I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go. It's just too much. My grace is sufficient. So I get that. We're very blessed where we are. End of July. Love you all dearly. Those that made the transition, those that have joined us, love you dearly. Look forward to seeing what God's going to do in the life of this church, in the life of this valley, um, but most importantly, in your life. And it's going to take a while to get to know you, and it's a two-way street, and I know I have to do my part to let you know me as well. Um, and we just do our best together. Amen? Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. And as we leave, may we continue to be the church, just honoring the Lord even in our actions and words, wherever we may be the rest of this day until we put our heads down on our pillow. Amen.
Jesus.